so to, this is Art I Swear. I'm Vanessa Van Alstein. I'm Katie Gibbs. And uh, we're going to have a kind of a morbid podcast topic today. So it's wanted... a little macabre. It's a little down. Uh, so I want to start with a really stupid story. So when I was a kid growing up in Midland, Texas, my grandma lived on the corner of Staniland and I think Garfield. Creepy, um, but okay. It was something like, it was a big street for Midland, not for Dallas. Um behind her was a cement wall and behind that cement wall for several years was herman the english sheepdog oh herman if you don't know what an english sheepdog is uh if you've ever seen like the shaggy da oh please just google it they're they're just so sweet and they're just huge moppy fluff balls of love huge yeah and that was pretty much herman and herman could like stand on his back legs and stick his head up over the fence. And if he saw you, you had to love Herman because Herman could hop that fence. And <laughs> if if Herman hopped that fence, he was going to bowl you over and get as much love as Herman felt like. But Herman taught me this really important life lesson that I want to share with all of you now. Don't run from a herding dog. <laughs> Which... I'm not sure has any bearing on our podcast it today, doesn't. but it, it's an accurate statement. Don't don't run from the herding dog. Don't run from a herding dog. It 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 it, it will not work out well for you, especially if you weigh like fifty pounds and you know and he the weighs dog about weighs the like same. 90. Yeah, <laughs> galumph, galumph, galumph. I mean, like like my cat Maple Herman was mostly hair, but you know, hair and love. And it, I, it was like you could kind of see where the eyes were, and then this like tongue would emerge from the hair, and that was that was about all Herman the, was. The drippy, slippy. Yeah, yeah, hair and love. So um, today's podcast topic is uh, we're going to cover the Oakland Fire today. Yeah, which if you haven't heard about this last week, I, I should have written down the exact date, but. A warehouse in Oakland, which is a suburb of San Francisco, caught on fire during a rave. And the body total at this point is 36. They don't think they're going to find more people in the fire. Um, and of course, so for the for the non-art people, these DIY or kind of decrepit artist spaces are i think a question like you know i hear a lot of people why would you go in there in the first place why would these people squat what what's going on with that and i'm we wanted to discuss i think um i think we're what we're going to do here is we're going to do an overview of how the fire happened and then we're going to start moving into a discussion on artist living space and why artists are and creatives are kind of forced into this kind of shit housing. Pardon my language. I'm sorry. I know this is a PG-13 thing. But um, that's your one. If you use two, Jesus is going to get mad and you're going to be in trouble. It's Christmas time. Jesus doesn't get mad. Oh, I yeah. Just... Jesus is mad about the one. Because it's Christmas and it's his birthday and there's no cussing on Jesus's birthday. Do we really want to go into that right now? No. Okay. Um. So... We're going to talk about how this problem happened in the United States, because this is a problem in the United States and third world countries. Welcome to the free nation. Um, 
so how, and how you can fix it. I will say that we're gonna, you know. Well, how do, how how you can help address the problem? Yeah, I don't know that we can fix it, but we can make it better. Oh, my boyfriend Mouse the cat just showed up. Hey, baby, my Oreo cookie kitty lover. That's my cat. No, that's my cat. His name is not Mouse. That is my cat. And stop making out with my cat. It's disturbing. He loves the little head kisses. That's you love. You can love your pet. Just don't. Love he came out to see me. By the way, her friend Melissa is over because it's been a wonderful time of year for getting fired. Apparently, you laid know, off. Christmas, laid off. Christmas, Christmas brings in, out the layoffs, and so, um, hey, anyone who's still listening, if you happen to have extra jobs just like lying around, I got laid off last month. That's part of the reason we've been a little delayed in recording because I didn't it very well um that and her child got all of the upper respiratories yeah and thanksgiving and then my child got sick and then clowns and balloons um but her her friend got laid off too so well she's my friend too but you know she's here for moral support so if you hear giggling or talking or you're like what is that or barking or the screaming of someone being mutilated yeah uh, just ignore it just that's just that's just life here at the the Gibbs household. So, and I think we're being kind of glib here because the, it's a really dark topic. This is a dark topic. There, so we're trying to bring it up as much as we can right now because once we get into this, it's yeah, it's really horribly depressing. And I want to make sure that you understand we're not being glib about the fire or the deaths or anything to do with that. We are just trying not to depress you <laughs> or ourselves you know it's a yeah humor is a coping mechanism it's a great one so this is 30 at least 36 people have died the oldest one i think is around our age in their mid-30s in 30s, yeah uh, the youngest one was a 17 year old kid who Ooh. sounds like he was very bright and had a he was in the pacific boys choir yeah something like that he which is why he was at a rave um, wanted to study computers and technology or something like that. Which, right on top of Silicon Valley, not real shocking. And some of the people that died in this were tech innovators. Because in an ideal world, tech people should hold hands with creatives. Because there isn't a career I can think of where having creative, out-of-the-box thinking would not benefit a corporate environment. But that's gonna... We're gonna have a segment where I and Julia talk it's recorded over the phone and we'll cover that a little bit more it's we wanted to do a full interview with Julia she's had some problems come up um so Vanessa just did a quick um kind of one-on-one with her on the phone and just to get you know a comment on how the fire the fire and she's also organized events and spaces that were a lot like this one and so let's talk about how this space was set up. It was an old warehouse. I want to say it was pre-1900. Right, 1880s, 1890s, when it was originally built. It's 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 around there anyways. And it was an old wood frame structure that... Was in Oakland. Probably. I, I mean, the person that organized it and set this up years ago said that they assumed that this was up to code. 
I've been in artist spaces where you hope and pray that's true, but you know it probably isn't. Like, that's going to be a lot of studios I've been in. You can see the wiring. You can see the problems in the wiring. So it's looking at this point that it looks like a refrigerator had a short and it was an electrical fire that started in the back of the building and moved to the front. Right. The, The space... Since it was a warehouse, the artists and creatives who lived there um, and worked there set the space up themselves, and the inside was beautiful, but it was a labyrinth. It was a maze. There were areas just for musicians, where they had like little cozy spaces with all sorts of musical instruments. There were little nooks and crannies for artists to, you know, to create, to work. And but, have some privacy. And, yeah, and little bits of privacy, but there wasn't any uniform uniformity in the interior at all. And so this was also a lot of added items where people that don't have a lot of money are bringing in wood or uh, found objects. Uh, it, it's a spa- it was a very eclectic with. space. Right. Anything they could work with, anything they saw, because, you know, you don't know when you don't have money, but you still want to create, you will grab what you can and do what you can with it. And that means dragging stuff in off the street and piling it up. I've had so much dumpster furniture and I know everybody has dumpster furniture, but perhaps the bulk of my furniture is dumpster furniture to this day. I'm sitting on my $15 leather chair I got from the thrift store. I paid cash for it. Yeah, and I think that like the bulk of Americans are not super wealthy. So you're probably listening to this and thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I get that. Right. So I think that the idea of a cheap space, people understand that, but they look down on the scenario because this was zoned for commercial still. Right. You weren't supposed to be living there. Yeah. And I, somebody that we were telling about this nice, not meaning it in a rude way, but referred to them as squatters. Right. Technically that's going to be accurate, but you know, this is the reality of it. These are young creatives. Some of them had BFAs. Some of them had science degrees. Some of them probably had MFAs. They've been to college. They're doing the hard work of trying to be a creative. And in the United States, there is not an infrastructure to support our cultural creators. I remember. Shocking. I remember reading a webcomic by, uh, I think her name's Leanne Fausson. We'll post the link in our show notes. Yeah, later. she she was a really, she still is. She's a big uh, GLBTQ uh, comic creator who now mostly does children's comics. And she illustrates children's books for a living. And she made this comic about how she made it as an illustrator in Canada and uh, I, her comic's called Le- Lily and the Bydike, if you want to look it up. It's still on, I think, like Comic Genius, if you remember that old webpage. Oh my god, yeah. And it discusses how she got her BFA, she got her MFA, she turns around and learns illustration from another artist. And she ends up having a friend drag her to the welfare people in Canada to talk about getting subsidies for her art. And the whole time she's like, I'm just going to hear, I need to flip hamburgers and make art part-time. But no, the Canadian government was like, you have an MFA. 
You have spent the time going to college and are an educated asset to our culture. We're going to give you a subsidy to live off of until you make enough money as an artist to support yourself. That sounds like magic and unicorns. I live in the United States. I have a bachelor's degree in art history and currently am unemployed. Hi, hire me. Um, I, I really want to get a job off of this podcast. Like, <laughs> I really want somebody to email in and be like, okay, here you go. She answers phones. No, I'm, ki- I'm kidding. She's I'm, a, she was a paralegal. I'm a paralegal, I swear. Um, but, anywho. Uh, so, the point is, though, in uh, other countries that are not, like... Us. Us, or extremely impoverished with almost no infrastructure... I'm not going to name names, but just whatever you thought of. countries. Probably, probably. There is a support system for artists. MFAs are harder to get, but you usually graduate with at least two to three catalogs, which uh, show off your work. There's government-supported art shows. There's government-supported art education initiatives. Artists are paid to display in spaces, not just by the government, but by the spaces themselves. There is an infrastructure in place to make sure that these creatives can contribute. And if a creative has maximized their ability and they're able to dedicate themselves to their portfolio, they're going to make people money. You have this idea of, I think, like millennials just taking selfies on Instagram No, that's not... I mean, most artists want to create, they want to work, they're driven. I have never met an artist that made any money at their work that ever retired. They make a little less as they get older because they're old, but... Jeff Koons, never retired. Yeah, no, that dude. (laughs) I think if... There is, like, Marcel Duchamp spent 20 years of his life, like his last 20 years on one piece of artwork... But I am allowed to roll my eyes at Duchamp. Yeah, and I think that he would like laugh and approve. Um, See? So let's. I would like to dispel the myth of people just nursing the government tea tier. I want to triple dispel it for creatives because this is not an easy career path to choose. And when you choose it, you choose it because you love it and you're dedicated. You have something to say, and you want to be able to get that out. So that the United States provides no little to no support for the arts is extremely embarrassing. Among many other travesties going on right now for the United States. So, you finish with your MFA. It's 2010. Oh, this is a hypothetical (laughs) situation. This is a hypothetical situation. The economy is collapsed. Uh, people, you're applying to jobs at grocery stores next to people with like PhDs and, you know, engineering. So your first job for the six months you get out of grad school is Petco. So you get up at six in the morning, you clean out animal cages, you have people openly mock you if they find out you've been to college and laugh in your face for getting a degree in the arts and you kind of stop making art because you're depressed and... This job is soul-sucking and eating up most of your time for a wage that makes it where you can barely pay your bills. But you're making too much for unemployment. 
However, if you're really, really dedicated, you're going to then need a studio space to work in, especially if you're working with some kind of hazardous material, because burning your apartment down is going to be a whole other thing. And then that's, you know, probably limited space that you need to live in. Right. If you can't even handle Petco because you're mentally ill, because you can't don't have a skill set that you feel like will lead to that because the economy's depressed. Because you can't be on your feet for eight hours. Or because you live in a place like San Francisco slash Oakland where housing is more expensive than New York City by several thousand dollars for an apartment of equal size. You're going to have to make some serious sacrifices. So what happened with this warehouse? It is 10,000 square feet that can easily be divided up. And when you can't afford a $3,000, 500 square foot apartment to start out with, but you can pay $350 to live in... Rent out studio space. To rent out studio space. In quotations. You're going to sleep on that sofa in the studio space. Yeah. And so those of you that are judging these people that were in that space, that were living in that space, I challenge you, instead of looking down on them, to empathize with them and see where this, this could be improved. Because what if there had been city funds for that space to revitalize it and make it to where it was like safe or there was at least a sprinkler system and make it to where these creatives did have an affordable, reasonable place to live. Right. They could have, the 36 lives could have easily been saved. And you're probably saying that sounds overly simple. Is it really? It's like, I was watching something last night on, the problem we're having, I think it was in Adam's Ruins, everything on the problem with the homeless population and how the system where you feed them, give them drug counseling, and then put them back on the street doesn't work because they're still homeless. The thing that really helps with homelessness, giving somebody a home. What? Yeah. Just this, this. even like a tiny house. They then have a home and an address where they can get a job from. It's, it's it's Occam's razor. The simplest solution is what works the best here. And, and look, there's thousands of cities across America right now are having budgetary crisis, crises. Yeah, we can't all move to Detroit and squat in a $10,000 house with, you know, no hope of employment whatsoever. And let in the drinking water. Yay. That was Flint, but yeah. Nope, it's all of Michigan now. I've just decided there's no proof. <laughs> But I'm never drinking water from Michigan. That would explain some of my in-laws. Anyways, <laughs> maybe my husband. No, I love my him. My stepfather. Uh, so we probably sound a little preachy here, and I'm sorry. I've been in these spaces, though. I've been to, I have been to them as well, if I could speak. I once had... I once visited an artist studio where I had to call him from the outside so that he could unchain and move aside the plywood door so that I could get in. You win. And he had like ramps set up to keep animals from getting into his painting area. It was like baby gates. Yeah, not ramps. Anyways. And I mean, he just wanted to dedicate his time to full-time painting. So he found this, 
I mean, I don't know how he found this place. I think him and three other people paid 150 months to, li- to live in like the center of the warehousing district of Dallas. And the building probably should have been condemned, but you know, there's always crappy landlords out there and people who are overlook your code violations for the right time, money. And there is, there has always been, especially since the 60s, and it really started in the 50s, this concept of counterculture where people want to live beyond the system. You also have that like DIY punk aesthetic thing that happens where people are like, well, I don't fit within the mainstream because when it comes to artists, you have musicians that are being loud. You can't drill in the middle of the night, in the middle of a residential neighborhood, uh, they're going to complain even if you're doing it during the day, running power tools or welders. Um, you have I, weird I haven't people. complained on any of my neighbors except for the one jerk face. And I did catch myself there. Thank you, Jesus. Um, somebody was getting their fence built behind me. And 2 a.m., they start waking up and hammering. At 2 o'clock in the gosh darn morning, hammering on their fence. I'm in the middle of suburbia. I am going to come out and murder you in the face. Exactly. So a lot of artists having their studio or their studio and living space, it's not viable in a residential neighborhood, in a place that's zoned for people. So these zoning requirements that are supposed to keep us safe in a lot of way hurt creatives. So this concept rose up of like, well, we'll find the scummy landlord that doesn't care and then just live under the radar. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but that's part of like the counterculture movement, which if you're going to be a weirdo artist who's not going to make a lot of money and who's going to kind of have to live on the fringe just out of necessity because of poverty, why not just embrace the whole thing? And, they, and we're not just talking about visual arts here either. There's music and dancers and blah, blah, blah. Right, blah, writers, any any number of things that people have to... The, the point here is there are sacri- really horrific sacrifices to your lifestyle that have to be made for cr- people who want to be creatives full time. They have to make these sacrifices to make their work. And they shouldn't have to make these sacrifices. They're there should be a safe space that they can work and ideally (laughs) or, or money to be, you know, had right. So, um, like imagine if we ended the war in Iraq and reinvested that in our people. And I'm not just saying creatives. Hello, education system. Um, so I know some of you are now going, Oh, what about that NEA, that National Endowment for the Arts? I heard about that on the PBS. <gasps> oh, do not. Mm-mm. The NEA was established in the mid-60s to provide funding grants, which you don't have to pay back, for creatives of all facets. And it also does help fund PBS. Since 1965... Till about, I think the last count was 2011, they distributed over $5 billion in grants. Now that sounds like a lot of money, but not over nearly 50 years. They average less than $200 million for its total cost every year. I want to say it's around $165 million. Now you have to consider that's 
what it costs to run the organization, all of your salaries, all of your infrastructure, and then grants out to creatives. And it's just, it has not risen for inflation in probably since the 60s. Maybe the 90s, I think, the last time I looked. They are extremely hard to get because they're also funding organizations. Oh, yeah. And, you know, even if it was 200 million, 200 million to our government is like a drop of water in the ocean. I mean, yes, we run at a deficit every year and there's some places we need to cut, but the arts are not what's costing money. And the NEA really suffered a lot and came under a lot of fire in the 90s because there was some shows that were controversial that they funded the organization that was displaying the work. And I think they had given a grant to Robert Maplethorpe, who was a very controversial gay photographer. Right. Um, I believe he's another artist that died of AIDS. Um, He died very young. So... I mean, some of the things I, I get the upset, like uh, the picture Piss Christ, which was a crucifix uh, submerged in what the artist claimed was urine. I don't want to know. I, You know what? That's I, I get why Christian groups were upset about that. Oh, yeah. But let's not yank funding for the arts. And that artist wasn't even American. It was literally just the institution had received NEA funds. So it's... A lot of these arguments you've heard over the years about defunding the NEA, it's a redirect to either promote pro-Christian politicians' pundits or to make it to where you're not looking at where our money's really going because it is not going to the arts. Oh, no. That's more guns, more bars, more guards. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Don't get me wrong. I would like funding for our infrastructure. Like, let's get Americans some actual real health care let's get some roads we could drive on yeah i mean like i, I like a tire I like the, i like having them roads they're nice i i would like for my for, for me not to be ashamed of my daughter's education yeah and my son's education when he starts someday god but I, uh i would also like cheaper child care i mean it's yeah the, all these things have to work together but let's not pretend like It's needlessly going to artists who are sitting on their butts and doing nothing. Right. Or these horrible millennials that just take selfies. Because that's not the creative community. God forbid an artist actually have a child. I'm just going to throw that out there because, geez, you are never going to be able to afford to do what you want to do. If you're trying to to live off your full-time artist work and then you have a child that you have to care for... You know, Julia does that. She's getting her MFA, making art, and raising a daughter by herself. I don't know. I don't know how she does it. Crack? <laughs> no, I. Meth? No. Oh my God! Don't say that. No. No. Bad, Katie. No. A, a crap ton of energy drinks. Does she sleep? I don't think she does. Honestly, like I don't know how. And but that's the thing, like. Why should we be incredulous over this? Why have I gone to college to get an MFA, taken on all of this debt that was supposed to better my future, and the public at large laughs in my face because I tried to do something that I believed would both better myself and society? 
Like I wanted to be a creative to give back to the world, to share this like creative love of beauty and stuff. And that's part of why I've done this podcast, which has been its own bootstrapping thing. I owe Amazon a crap ton of money for it. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, you know, and it's, I, I don't want to pat on a back or the precious snowflake acknowledgement. I just want to make a living. And why is that asking too much? So yeah, more upset personal rants. So NEA, not, not given money. How, how do you fix this art problem though? Like, where do you, what, how do we look at that? Well, you know, it's a great example of a repurposed space that's actually safe. Valley View Mall here in Dallas. And it's supposed to be torn down and they push back the construction date again. But this ill-funded uh, re- retail real estate, hell. this ill-funded real estate group has purchased the land. They're supposed to knock it down for one of those outdoor living malls. But in the meantime, they've allowed artists, creative, small businesses... Like my friend Paul Riddell, who runs the Texas Triffid Ranch, uh, he grows like carnivorous plants and now has the space to actually put them in these fabulous displays that he hand makes. And his wife's a jeweler, so they share the space together and the rent. Uh, her name's Carolyn Crawford. She also makes amazing jewelry. You have a really cool carved skull necklace that's hers. Have you ever seen that? Uh-uh. Anyways... They're wonderful, creative people, and they have an opportunity to really expand their work because it's a cheap, affordable space. Um, When the mall gets knocked down, they're just going to have to kind of figure it out. Right. What these developers could do instead of knocking the mall down is repurpose some of the existing spaces as living spaces. Because if you think about it, you even have like food already set Mm -hmm. up inside of there. And promotes this like coexistence of living between the artists and the general public. It would be a really awesome idea because you could then, if you especially if they've already gotten the rezoning handled, you could then provide this alternative creative space. And they have like art walks and events nights where you can go in and talk to the artists and meet the creatives that work there. And this is an already existing piece of infrastructure that with some like city or government funding or just the existing money that these real estate guys that have already raised, assuming they've, I don't, I don't know how they've done it or if it's real secure, but this could help solidify Dallas as a legitimate and strong place for the arts. Which would be great. Yeah. And when you show up to those like art nights, especially cause it's like, you know, sheltered and you don't have to worry about the weather, even though the parking lot's gone to pot. It is this, like, you have this, like, just great atmosphere where, like, there's families and people from all over and different cultures just, like, talking and mixing and having fun. And that was actually, like, the real purpose of what a shopping mall was supposed to be. I'm going to point you at another Adam Ruins Everything uh, episode he did about shopping malls that covers that really beautifully. Right. And there's there's spaces like this all over America right now that are not being used, that are just dead space. Yeah, and it's... Why should that warehouse in Oakland have rotted? Why should it have sat there empty rather than providing a safe living and working space for artists? Right. It's just the word safe is what never happened here. The assistant fire chief um, 
I believe, tried to go in November 17th to inspect the area. Yeah, she's using quotes with the word inspect. Um, and was, and apparently, according to the source I read, I believe it was USA Today, couldn't get in. And I don't believe that. Yeah, and... I mean, yeah, it was going to be a fire hazard. I think that that building just in default, because it hadn't been taken care of for so long, was a fire hazard. Was It was completely not up to code. But it, imagine if the artists had been able to work with the city to actually really transform that space, to just like put in some like legitimate walls, maybe gotten a grant to replace the electric. It could have been a jewel in Oakland. Like there's another space like that, that here in Dallas called 500 X. That's an artist collective where they've all pooled their funds to like actually fix this warehouse building with the cheap rent and generous help of a real estate man here in Dallas. And look, it sounds like, well, the city should give us money. Well, the city should give us, the government should give us all this money. This money would increase tourism this money would give people jobs this money would put money back into the systems that are already failing and give them a boost that little bit of seed money right there is going to help so many people contribute back to the government and back to the places that gave them this money and contribute to our culture and our society in ways that we can't put monetary value on and if you want proof of this there's a word you need to research and that word is gentrification. <gasps> gentrification? Oh my god, social justice warriors, run away, run away. Run away. <gasps> no. And yes, some people hate gentrification, some people love it, but this is what happens. You have your cheap, derelict housing. This is Detroit. This is exactly what happened to Pittsburgh that revitalized it. It happened in Charlotte, North Carolina. It in can Dallas, ha- it's happening in Oak Cliff. Yeah, and it can ha- it's happening over in the design district where they had to move all of the artists. What happens? You have this cheap piece of real estate. Right. That's rundown areas. Oak Cliff in Dallas was, for a long time, um, the, the not safe area. Yeah, it's... I worked there. I, uh, and I'm going to say, if you go back historically, Dallas was a segregated southern city. That is where right. we... So it's in the southern area. You can it, imagine the type of housing and the type of... And you can imagine why it was... We're saying that this was a result of segregation. Right. Anyways. The houses are beautiful. And they're starting to revitalize that area and make it more of an arts district. Because and... of the Bishop's Art District, which was just a really smart real estate guy that came in and made room for like crafts and small businesses oh my god the chocolate place down there there that's it i'm promoting them death by chocolate there's one in dallas and there's one in plano and oh their marshmallows just melt in your mouth. there's a pie place down there that's ridiculous. oh my gosh see and we love this space everybody loves this space food trucks go down there now there's also there's all sorts of opportunities down there just to go out with your family in a safe space and see these small businesses and artisans so cheap space the artists move into it so when an artist moves into the space not only do their little art friends come along their collectors come along and if you're collecting artwork ideally you have a little bit more money so you go you know what This is a fantastic space. It's so cheap. I can either flip this or I could move down here and live better for less. 
So the next step is people start moving in and fixing up the houses. What's unfortunate with gentrification is this tends to then push out poorer people of color. And that's where gentrification gets a lot of bad press is because like what happens with artists, we don't tend to consider where they're going to go. Right. And once you're, once gentrification, good Lord, once gentrification begins, the housing prices start going up. Yeah. And it, it ends with a safe place. That's kind of like the suburbs where you, where an artist could never afford to live. Right. But is now a shining bragging jewel for the city. And they'll still tout the like creatives and art spaces long after they've been pushed out by like your Starbucks's and your Walmarts. Don't, don't you denigrate my Starbucks. <sighs> I, it, they are a massive corporate behemoth. And I love them. I know you, you exist off of the Turbano sugar and the fumes of caffeine. It's not a bad addiction. I am only now best friends with my favorite barista and I go to her house once a week at least. I also will say that that employed Miss Katie for a while. So only one of us is the like barista cliche. <laughs> you can't see me, but I am not absolutely not smiling. That. <laughs> so that's that's about all that we really have to say i mean I it's so. hopefully you've learned something here if you're kind of wondering how the for-profit side of this looks we do have a podcast on how galleries look how how galleries work yeah. how galleries work they don't they, they don't just look they work they work and they look um and i think that you know adopting the canadian model would benefit us tremendously Healthcare, arts all sorts of things. Yeah, feel free to argue with us in the comments section. We love it. Yeah, we uh, love we love your likes and shares and emails. Also, before we uh, flip over to the interview with Julia that I did here at the end, we want to mention our Christmas contest. Oh, I'm so excited for this. All right, kids. Um, so I'm doing Christmas cards today. Uh, today's, what, December the 7th, I think? Yeah. Um, so it's Christmas card season. And I really don't... Uh, whatever holiday you choose to celebrate right now. I'm not picky. I don't care. Um, the first, what, five? five? Five people who email us with an address will get a Christmas card from us. Um, you it's just artiswear at gmail.com. Correct. And it's, you just have to send us an address. If, if you want your kooky aunt, you know, Bernice to freak out because some weird people sent her a Christmas card, just... Send her address. We don't um, know who you are. You you can stipulate if you want a funny card, a mean card, um, a loving and adorable card, or just a geek pop culture card because I am loving mine this year. Um, and and we'll send it out to you. Just a just a little shout out for our friends. So like I said, the first five people give us your name, give us an address. We will send it out. You want to send it to your ex and you want a bitchy card? We will send your ex a bitchy card. Yeah, and we'll totally, like, we'll mention at least first names of people who send us emails. Camel, Camel with sheep. Camel, Camel who, Camel among sheep. You should do it. You should do it. You're, like, best, best commenter. You get the, you get the best commenter award. It's a gold star right on your chest. And you're like, yay. (laughs) Vanessa has her favorite commenter. Um. I am my own favorite commenter. Me and the voices in my head. For reals. 
All right, so I'm going to cut into uh, the interview now. And uh, Katie, do you want to say something like goodbye or Um, goodnight, Gracie? (laughs) Goodnight, Gracie. All right. (laughs) All right, guys. um, Our next podcast will be coming out soon-ish. But if we don't talk to you before the holidays or you don't listen to us before the holidays, shame on you. And also have a good holiday. Stay safe. Don't set yourself on fire. Um, Um, Yourself. You can set other people on fire. Don't set other people on fire, Vanessa. Just giving me the death glow. No, no, no. It's because we just talked about this, like, tragic warehouse. Oh, my God. (laughs) I have not think it's... I have a friend whose mother died because she drove her riding lawnmower over a mud puddle with an electric cord going through it. And, uh, you know, she told me, she's like, after the first five people I told it to, I had to have a witty comeback to them just saying it's shocking and not thinking about it. Yeah, and that was the first time I'm she so told sorry. me after we'd met, I my response was, that's shocking. And then I'm like, oh my god, what did I say? What have I done? And that's just, Katie just had one of those moments. So. Okay, look, look, I, I know we're closing out, and I'm sorry, I have to give you this anecdote. I used to, we just mentioned I used to work for a coffee company. Before Starbucks, it was CC's Coffee, and I was a closer and an opener. I was swing shift. I could work whatever they needed. <clears throat> there was a kid there. Who needed? Who lived kind of near me that had just started. I'd been there for a year and he needed rides and he would bum rides off of me in my tiny little 1990 Geo Metro, which we may have mentioned before. Cricket. I loved that car. I um, loved Cricket. You could lift it with three men and me inside. Um, we did that once. I'm pretty sure that's how I spent a weekend. Anyways. Mm. Yeah, buddy. Uh, anywho, so the kid would call me and, but he wouldn't give me advance warning. So one night I had closed and it had been a late, late, late close. I'd got out late. I got home late. Um, I think I got home by two and it was all the coffee because we had to do inventory or something. So at four o'clock in the morning, this ding ding calls me and says he needs a ride. And I was and I was not awake. So I was like, I can't drive you. And he's like, well, how am I supposed to get to work? And I said, hop. And I hung up the phone. After I woke up later, circa 10 a.m., I realized that the poor kid that I had just told to hop to work actually only had one leg. He had a fake leg. I told the one-legged kid to hop to work in my sleep-induced bitchiness. And I didn't even think about it. So I actually had to drive my ass to work to apologize to this kid in person because I'm a dick. So, uh, that's shocking. There's your anecdote, and now we're going to transfer into the Julia interview. I yeah. apologize. Yeah, just go, go back to thinking about Herman molesting your face with his giant shepherd dog tongue, and <laughs> here comes Julia. Hello? Hey, can you hear me okay? I can, yes. Sweet. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, you sound fine. Okay, great. So you were going to be on the podcast today, but you uh, have had an amazing time with your car recently. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, my car got obliterated, and my aunt went to the emergency room this morning, and she lives with me, so that was crazy. And and I've got two final projects due today and tomorrow, <laughs> so it's crazy, crazy oh, time. Yeah, the joys of grad school. Um, well, I hope your aunt gets better, and I think the good news is whoever totaled your car left their license plate stuck to the car. They did. I'm very grateful for that detail. <laughs> So there's a hit and run charge for someone. And you weren't in the car, so you're okay. I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was parked, right? It was. I'm still waiting to see if he has insurance. I do not know. And I I thought I got the fanciest insurance that covered uninsured drivers. But no, it doesn't. So I'm I'm a little nervous, but just focusing on my final projects right now. There and everything go. will be okay. It always is okay. I won't die. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I, I hope that turns out best for you. So, Thank you. So you wanted to make a statement about the Orlando fire and having your experiences having lived in, in some art spaces that were maybe a little, little sketch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I've... Uh, when I got out of art school, I lived at one of these places, very illegal, no codes being uh, followed, um, but it allowed me to live very affordably. It was uh, like 350 all bills paid with internet, um, and I could throw shows in the space, and um, you know I could afford to have a part-time job that allowed me the time to do all of the art and the shows that, you know, were important to me and were, I think, much more valuable to our community than the um, awesome daycare job that my art degree got me. So, um, yeah, and and since then, I've, I've thrown a lot of shows in these types of spaces and as a performance art organi- organizer, I cannot um, reiterate enough how valuable this kind of space is to the work that I do. Um, And by this kind of space, you're talking about low-cost spaces where the zoning is not going to restrict sound or uh, people showing up. Because let's face it, you're not going to have a performance art night in the suburbs. Right, right. Um, And not, yeah, so low-cost. Um, I don't have to generally don't have to pay to use them or don't pay that much because people who are, are have these spaces want to support the work that I'm doing. Um, and on top of that, like when I do a fundraiser, um, if we have like a donation bar or something, my organization is able to, uh, I use the term organization loosely, but my um, organization is able to keep the money that we make running a bar rather than um, a bar making money off of us. And like, so for example, that's the difference between making $200 off a show at a bar who like lets me keep some of the door versus um, running a bar myself and making $1,300 in the same night um, with the same amount of effort and work from the artist. Well, and this, um, this money is going to go back into the liquor you've already purchased. It's going to potentially go to artists to compensate them for their time. 
Um, you might exactly all the money that I make goes back into creating more events. Yeah, because um, I don't yeah, want these are fundraisers for for the arts. And um, like just to like just to give a glimpse, like we we had a you know a show at a more legitimate studio space, and um, you know they're following all the codes, being very safe. They required us to have security for two hundred dollars and a five hundred dollar insurance policy, and that was seven hundred dollars of of like you know you know being on the safe side which is what for-profit, you know, companies have to do. But $700 to an art organization, I mean, I can't tell you how huge it is. Like I said, one night, 20 artists putting on a fundraiser at one of these, these, um, you know, spaces, we make $1,300. And if we're paying $700, you know, to put on a, a more legitimate event and that $700 goes towards, you know, making a safe choice, it's, it's just, it, it it just kills possibility and creativity um, to follow all the rules that um, are in place for these you know these money making businesses out in the world. And I think that I what's good here is that it stresses the point that you are not doing something illegal. You're you know, you're not looking for the space so that you can get away with stuff necessarily. It's just affordability because the United States, unlike other countries. Uh, puts little to no funding into their arts. They don't provide spaces for the creatives that work hard to earn these degrees and don't support them. Whereas other places right. like Europe might provide these spaces or at least help with some of the funds or yeah. provide a stipend so that their MFAs could live. Right, right. Yeah, like, um, you know, a gallery in Germany paid me uh money they got from the German government to go perform performance art in their city. And they were like, bring us back to Houston. And I was like, ha like we don't, <laughs> our government doesn't do that <laughs> yeah. at all. Um, I mean, that, Houston does have art funds, um, but they, a lot of people want them. And for example, you know, the, the manpower that I put in to write the last grant, um, I mean, it was at least like, three days of nonstop work to create this thing that may or may not make, you know, a few thousand dollars to put towards an event. Um, well, and then let's it, also point out that you are a degreed professional. You have a BFA. You're working on a, I'm a is it an MA or an MFA? Uh, an MA. And so anybody who was in grad school with years of experience, already, um, you know, with a bachelor's degree, who worked in, like, business or medicine or law, they would expect money to come back for doing these kinds of um, public events. Whereas, as an artist, you're just like, hey, let me pay someone so that I have the privilege of doing this thing I have worked hard to get a degree in. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, bars make money off of me <laughs> putting on these shows in their in their spaces um yeah venues make money off of me it's, it's i'm not making i'm not making money at this point i'm hoping to find some ways to do it and i think there's some great um and exciting uh models out there that, that are giving me some hope for the future but well and you're the kind of creative professional who's good at organizing people and help build the futures for the art so 
you know, the momentum that you're pushing forward is the kind of momentum that makes a difference. And if there's people who are listening to this and wondering how they can work in the art world and not be an artist, mm-hmm. you know, they can look to your kind of career, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I, I think, like, I'm noticing, like, this is my passion. I can't do anything else. Like, I love organizing the arts. When I do something else, I feel like I'm dying inside. Um, like, if, if, if you have the ability to have a money-making thing on the side that you can do part-time and then do art on the side as well, I think that's a great model. Um, and I encourage people to do that, uh, too. But if you want to make money in the arts, I don't know if, if getting your MA in arts administration is the best way to go unless you're, yeah, very creative and motivated and, and looking for, for new, new ways to figure that out. Um, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the, <laughs> the other thing to point out about the Oakland fire is because we've all been in these spaces that are, a little bit frightening and you know mm-hmm. maybe not up to code but cheap and that's what we have to do mm-hmm. because we're all broke mm-hmm. every time this yeah. happens we either know someone that's involved or we think about oh man I have been in a space where I was like this is a fire trap yeah and so it kind of resonates with all of us because we see you know how dangerous it is and it's just because the United States doesn't put any emphasis into our cultural creators or right right yes um for sure i've been in you know a million not a million but a lot of situations that could have ended like that one did and no one organizing these shows is you know doing this for their own gain like everyone who has a place that they ship loves artists and the arts and that's why they're they're doing what they're doing. And, um, yeah, I, I think our culture, our, uh, we, we are not tapping into the value of the arts like we should. And um, that's, that's kind of the main point that I want to put out there right now because what I'm realizing is um, creativity and artists are an incredible valuable resource and we all know they do all these things like they they provide like therapeutic value healing value like they make us feel better they you know give us an expanded view of of the world i think everyone who's listening to this probably agrees with this yes art is good it brings beauty into our lives but on top of that like there's so much value that creativity and artists can bring to the for-profit world to businesses and um i you know i have i'm finding so many examples of of the way that the art could be used to you know bring jobs to the economy to strengthen um for-profit businesses and and to, to you know our city it could do great things for our city um and i'm in houston so well and the arts do lead into innovation as well. Like I'm thinking about uh, my friend, Dr. Carissa Terranova's book, Art is Organism, which Mm -hmm. covers Maholi Nagy and how his use of light uh, affected not only art, but how we view the sciences and like civil engineering and how these people would work with artists to find new ways to present science to people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's a really, it's a really well done book. Lots of, 
she's the master of the 50 cent word, but if you can afford the hundred bucks to throw down to get the book, I recommend it. Um, well, Sir Chen Robinson, um, who wrote Out of Our Minds, is another. He, ha- he has like one of the, I think it's the top most viewed TEDx or TED Talk, sorry, TED Talk right now. And, and he has a, another one who puts out um, these ideas that creativity um, is valuable in every single field and it, it's going to make everything better. <laughs> And it, it, it astounds me that, you know, people who do want to make money out there aren't tapping in on this. Yeah, it's imagine if you – I mean, and there's so many innovations in the corporate world now, like uh, intelligent play, where people, like, spend some time, like, basically kind of playing like kids as their brains open up and they think in different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And, like, imagine if we bring that into jobs that – have technical creativity like engineers or uh, programmers or people that have to think in these abstract manners they think like artists in a lot of ways they just don't necessarily have the driver technical skills so having someone that's creative that can help them like look beyond and into Mm -hmm. these realms that they might not consider I think is a major asset and yeah. To make it loop back to these spaces that, like the Oakland one, we since we don't have places for the arts to work and collaborate, we kind of have to build them for ourselves. And mm-hmm. since we put no value in paying artists, this is what happens. Right, right, yeah, and um, like uh, an, another, just real quick, a couple of of examples of of um amazing for profit or like profitable examples of creativity like bringing in money houston methodist has an amazing arts program they're bringing in all this music and um they've got full-time pianists hired to play and constantly in the hospital and this is actually turning into more money coming into hospital into their hospital because um when patients rate their hospital it 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 uh turns into more funding and on top of that they've got all these art classes offered for their employees and they've got amazing um art contests constantly going on to their employees they're Halls are filled with the photographs of of the surgeons and the doctors and the nurses, making it one of the most popular uh, places to work. It's one award for that. Um, they're not having as high a turnover as other people. People are excited to work there. They're having better lives because they've got creative writing classes, etc. And um, and also Free Press Summerfest um, and Day for Night happening in Houston. Uh, Free Press Summerfest 2012 brought in $12 million into our local economy. And Day for Night is amazing. It's half incredible art installations, bigger than the MFA are, you know, putting on, bigger than, like, the first sports are putting on. And, and it's incredible. They've got 25 amazing art installations happening um, in this one festival. I, I, I don't know, 25, I kind of made up that number as a guesstimate. But, like, Two-thirds of the tickets to that festival are being sold to people out of town. 
and and that's bringing in tons of you know revenue to our city hotels everyone is profiting off of these this amazing you know work uh, that artists are doing and i think that we need to have so many more opportunities like that so that artists have opportunities to make a living wage and i also think that the 40 hour work week is stupid and we shouldn't have to have that in order to survive. We should be able to have time to create and to do our things on the side, um, the things that make us happy and the things that make our community better. And yeah, I think that's exactly. Better. We can't we can't make the world better if we're flipping burgers at Burger King. Exactly. And then mm-hmm. there's a lot of people don't feel like that's even a valid job. So it's like, what do you mm-hmm. do? All right, Julie, I appreciate you right. taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's important to me. Um, the, the things I've seen in those illegal spaces are, like, the most alive forms of creativity, you know, in this community. And it's so valuable to me. I would never, ever want to kill that. So, it's, yeah, this is incredibly important to me, and I'm glad you guys are talking about it. And, Thank you. Um, Well, and the other thing is, like, I'm going to stress, these don't have to be illegal spaces. Right, right. But but our community, our society, our culture needs to figure out a way to provide space and ability to make cutting-edge art that isn't, you know, completely tied up by the red tape that um, for-profit businesses uh, you know, have to, to do in order to make money. It's not the same thing. Exactly. I don't know how. I mean, I've got some ideas, but we've got to figure this out. It's, it's, it's for the betterment of all. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you once again, Julia, and you have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. Have a good holiday. Thank you for listening to Art I Swear. This has been an episode of Art I Swear. I would like to thank Joe Giggs with the DJing in the New York and have a shocking good time, but don't catch fire. Joe Giggs, everyone. <laughs> All samples taken by the Iridial Project. Thank you to Conant's Iridial Project. If you want to learn about number stations and be shocked by how great they are, check out the Conant Project's Iridial and have a creative day. Bye, guys. We're going to hell. <laughs>